Hey, what's up? This is the SB Nation College Basketball Podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell, and today I am joined, as always, by, from NBC Sports, it's Scott Phillips. Scott, what's going on, man? Ricky, thanks for having me on once again. Uh, so we're going to continue a series we started last week, uh, looking at f- sort of five of the top players in every class. Uh, and we started last week with the freshmen. Today we're going to do the sophomores. Uh, let's get right into it, because I think the sophomore class has a couple of really intriguing players, guys who are going to play big roles for the top college teams this year, certainly, and uh, I think most of these guys, at least four of the five, you're going to see uh, most likely in the draft after this season. So uh, let's start with Mello Trimble. He's the sophomore point guard from Maryland. Uh, Mello Trimble's season did not end in a very cool way. You may remember him getting struck in the head multiple times against West Virginia in the round of 32. He took a vicious screen from West Virginia uh, early in the second half of that game that resulted in a blow to the head, and then like two or three plays later, he got kicked in the head by his own teammate. Uh, he suffered a concussion in that game, and he thought about going to the NBA draft I think he likely would have been a late first-round draft pick, uh, maybe an early second-round draft pick. Decided to come back, and because of his decision to come back, I think Maryland is likely a top-two team to start the season in the preseason polls. Uh, This is going to be a loaded Maryland team with Robert Carter, the Georgia Tech power forward, transferring in. uh, Five-star recruit Diamond Stone in the middle. They have Jake Lehman coming back for his senior year, and really Trimble's the best player of them all. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be the best point guard in the country this year. Is that crazy to think that he could accomplish that as a sophomore? I don't think that's nuts, Ricky. I mean, you look at last season, he was first team all Big Ten as a true freshman, averaged nearly 34 minutes a game for a team that was very good and justifiably ranked in the top 25 for much of the year. They were very good on the road. Trimble was a tremendous closer, and I think that's an underrated component of his game. He shot 86% from the free throw line, and with the ball in his hands at the end of the game, he helped Maryland win a lot of close and tight games last year because he was cool, calm, and collected at the free throw line. He got things done there. He was also 41% from three-point range, so he's efficient from there as well. You look at a guy who takes good shots. He makes a lot of tough shots as well. He sets up guys to the tune of three assists a game. Also rebounds nearly four rebounds a game, and you know, which is pretty good for the point guard spot. And just a great all-around effort from him last year. And you look at this year, he's going to have even more weapons around him. It's going to be more difficult to guard Maryland as a whole. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they can really maximize their talent in the year in which they could be a national title contender. Yeah, it's got to happen for Maryland this year, I think, because likely after the year Trimble's gone, uh, obviously we've been seeing, in part because of their uh, deal with Under Armour, they're getting a lot of official visits. They got an official visit yesterday from uh, Trayvon Duvall in the class of 2017. An unofficial visit. An unofficial visit, I should say. Yeah, Justin Jackson's taking a visit there as well. Uh, So, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to see Turgeron keep this thing rolling forward, but... Sort of in college basketball, one of the things that makes the sport so great and so compelling, I think, is that every once in a while, everything just lines up for a team. Wisconsin last year would be a case of that where it's not always going to be this good. You've got to capitalize, and I think that uh, that's sort of Maryland this year. Now, one thing that really jumps out to me about Trimmel looking at his stats, and uh, in the story I wrote, I compared him to D'Angelo Russell's impact at Ohio State last year. Their numbers more similar than you might expect. Trimble, amazing at getting to the foul line. He took over eight free throw attempts per game per 40 minutes. He was really good, and he was a guy with late-game situations. As I mentioned, they put the ball in his hands, and he made free throws. Yeah, so uh, I think him and Maryland are both going to be really intriguing this year because what I like about Maryland, too, 
uh, with Jared Nickens, they're going to have a lot of three-point shooters, a lot of shooting on that perimeter. Uh, we'll see how Lehman shoots the ball from the outside this year. But that is exactly what you want around a post presence uh, like Diamond Stone. Diamond Stone, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, he's very much a old-school, back-to-the-basket sort of scorer. Uh, soft hands, not the fastest player, uh, certainly. So I think, you know, if you surround that type of player with shooting, there's not going to be a lot of college players who are going to be able to stop Diamond Stone one-on-one in the post. Should be an interesting year for Maryland, that's for sure. Uh, let's move on to... Utah sophomore center, Yaka Pertle. Now, Scott and I debated how to pronounce his name before we started recording this podcast. Likely, we found a helpful video, YouTube video from Yaka Pertle. We're going to play it for you right here. How is your last name really pronounced? So, my first name is pronounced Jakob, and the last name is a little bit more difficult. It's Pertle. That's how you would say it in German. Okay, well, there we go. Jakob Pertle. Uh, straight from Austria, a country which has never produced an NBA player. It is not an exaggeration to say that Jakob Pertl is the best Austrian hooper there has ever been. Uh, he really came out of nowhere last year, I felt like. Like, one day before the season, Chad Ford just started tweeting about him, and then everyone's like, wow, who is this guy? He was sort of, uh, off the map a little bit, coming from a country that hasn't produced any basketball talent before, but he was really impressive as a freshman. Uh, Utah had a center last year named Dylan Pachinski who uh, was a senior going into the year. He was a, a huge 7-footer, 300 pounds, and Pirtle leaped him on the depth chart immediately. And, uh, you know, for people who follow college basketball, I think you realize just how difficult of a thing that is to do. Uh, now Pirtle's going into his sophomore season. He could potentially be a top-10 draft pick if he has a really big year. DeLon Wright out of the way at Utah, but I think Utah still has a lot of other really talented players Jordan Loveridge, uh, Brandon Taylor, uh, another standout sophomore to watch, Brakat Chapman there. So I think Utah's got some got some talent, but it's all about Pirtle this year. It's going to be really interesting to see how Pirtle adjusts to being more of a focal point and how he adjusts to playing more minutes. He only played 23.3 minutes because of the aforementioned depth, as Ricky said, with Baczynski still earning some minutes there every game and Utah going smaller at times as well. But really, with him being more of a focal point, him getting more minutes, how does he adjust to that? Is he still as efficient as he was? He shot 68% from the field Crazy. last year. That was third year. in the country. Third yeah. or fourth in the I country. I mean, that, that's phenomenal. But he was only 44% from the free throw line, which is something that right. you have to monitor as well. Do teams go with a hack a purtle, uh, you know, strategy? Excuse <laughs> me for the horrible name, but that's just an easy way to describe it quickly. But, you know, there's talk of him in a story from the Salt Lake Tribune yesterday about him. Uh, adding contact lenses this summer and getting his vision checked. So maybe that helps him with his shooting and his depth perception seeing the basket. We'll have to monitor that. But he's still great at the rim, soft hands, good rebounder. Uh, just a difference maker, especially on the defensive end of the floor, who can also finish near the hoop. He could be poised for a big year this year. Yeah, I think that when he really proved himself to me, I think in uh, in college hoops when you're sort of evaluating these prospects, how good they are, it's almost just as important to look at single-game matchups against high-caliber talent as it is, uh, you know, taking the season as a whole, just because there's going to be a lot of players in college basketball who just don't have the size or the talent, excuse me, to match up with a player like Jakob Pertl. But when he played Jaleel Okafor in the Sweet 16, that was might have been Duke's toughest game at the NCAA tournament. I want to say Duke only won that game by, like, five, just off the top of my head, I'm guessing here. But Pertl held Jaleel Okafor to six points. Uh, Okafor, who had been just running a train on everyone in college basketball, was really limited by Pirtle. 
Uh, and that makes me think that he can be an elite-level interior defender in a sophomore season. Yeah, he's not a soft European like a lot of people like to label them. Think more about Omera Sheik and how he walls up and he's willing to defend at the basket and how he's willing to play physically. And that's more the style of play that Pirtle is than maybe your typical European uh, big man. And I think he's you know, produced at the college level already. He's held high-level players like Okafor in check. It's going to be interesting to see how his defense translates to the NBA level. I think that's his calling card. Yet, I feel confident saying that there is no league in the world where Omer Sheik's going to shoot 68%, you know? So the fact that Pirtle could do that in his freshman year, first year playing in America, is uh, is very impressive. It's a great sign. Uh, Now let's move on to Justin Jackson, a wing from North Carolina. Justin Jackson was the only member of a North Carolina 2014 recruiting class that included three McDonald's All-Americans. He was the only guy to get regular playing time. Uh, Theo Pinson, of course, had an injury. Joel Berry was mostly backing up Marcus Page. UNC brings everyone back besides for J.P. Tokido. He was the uh, starting wing there who decided to turn pro. So Jackson trenched on one spot on the wing. Out of that two-guard spot where Tokido was... North Carolina needs some shooting. I don't know if Barry or Pinson's going to start there. They also have a, uh, a kid coming in from VCU named Kenny Williams. Not the former GM of the Chicago White Sox. Shout out to the 17 other White Sox fans aside from Scott and I out there. Uh, but he's a comes in with a reputation as a shooter. Uh, Jackson, to me, is the guy that could really put North Carolina over the top this year. Uh, of all the players on this list, he's the guy who I think his internal improvement would benefit his team the most this year. Uh just because, you know, North Carolina has such a strong front court in Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, Isaiah Hicks is still there, right? Uh, so they have a lot of depth in the front court. It doesn't get any better than uh, a point guard than the Marcus Page in college basketball. So, you know, can the Wings actually shoot this year? It seems like North Carolina's had this problem of shooting the last couple of years. Justin Jackson, it's on you, man. You shot 30% on 2.4 attempts from three per game last season. If he can start knocking them down from the outside, North Carolina's going to be tough as hell. Well, really, that's the million-dollar question with the Tar Heels entering the season, Ricky, is can guys like Jackson and Pinson step up and be regular three-point shooters? Uh, Nate Britt, I'm not sure if he can, but he and Joel Berry hover in the mid-30s as well. Just if two of those guys inch up higher, or if Kenny Williams, their incoming freshman, the former VCU commit, as you mentioned, Ricky, can come in and be a uh, floor spacer and hit some shots every game, even if it produces the threat of hitting shots and opens up things more inside for their guys to operate, that in itself helps, and they have to get more uh, freedom of movement for Marcus Page. Uh, Really, Marcus Page was harassed by multiple perimeter defenders at a time and double and triple teamed last year because North Carolina couldn't produce shooting around him so they really need to space the floor to get him going to those levels that he saw his sophomore year where he was one of the most prolific players in the country still a great junior season for Marcus Page but if Jackson steps up his play he improves his perimeter jumper it makes Marcus Page a lot better as well and there's always a couple programs that seem to run in the same problem every year uh, I'm thinking Texas in their shooting problems seems like North Carolina hasn't had a dependable shooter since Wayne Ellington was there uh <laughs> What are they going to fix this? Like, it's sort of interesting that, like, you know, all, all basketball is sort of interconnected in a sense with the Warriors just torching the NBA with a heavy emphasis on shooting. Do you think that shooters start becoming bigger priorities uh, in recruiting rankings? 
Or does uh, does that not really change? Are coaches still just looking for the biggest, most athletic guys? I think we've seen a, a split, Ricky. I think that you see a segment of coaches who put a premium on shooting in terms of their recruiting focus and the way they evaluate players. And you see other coaches who believe that they can teach players to be better shooters or work yeah. with them through improve, improved work ethic and training to make them better shooters. And I think you can listen to both arguments, and there's proof in both arguments. Yeah. Um, but that being said... Guys that can shoot the basketball, especially entering their freshman year of college, have a space on the floor, just like guys who are willing to defend, because even if you put them in for a couple minutes a game and get them three or four three-point attempts, if they hit half of those, that's all of a sudden six points. And you're looking at some college games being in the 50s, being in the 60s, that's a high output for a couple of minutes from one player on the floor who's doing one thing. And if that player can shoot at a high level, he's got a chance to see the floor immediately. Dude, and especially in college when everyone's zoning up, uh, it just feels like... I remember two years ago when Wiggins was at Kansas, that team, like, they got shut down by a Stanford zone. That Stanford team had some talent, no doubt about it. Josh Eustace was a first-round pick. Uh, Son Randall, they had, they had a couple other guys there, too. They had a good team, but... It's because they didn't have any shooting besides for the Wichita State transfer. I'm forgetting his name now. The point guard, Connor Frankenkamp. Connor Frankenkamp, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, college basketball. Shooting just helps you out more so than a couple three-pointers. Like you said, it just opens things up for everyone else. It gets teams out of their zones. Uh, If Justin Jackson wants to make, I don't know, a ton of money, he should... Probably learn how to shoot three-pointers. I think that that could be one of the uh, the biggest improvements to watch this year. Now we're going to our next guy, and I have something to admit that people are not going to like to hear, but I love watching Grayson Allen hoop. I think Grayson Allen is awesome. He's going to be a sophomore this year at Duke. This kid played under 400 minutes last season for Duke. He was really a minor player, but he, sh- uh, he balled out at the biggest time. He had 16 points in the national title game against Wisconsin. Uh, several momentum-changing, game-changing plays there. Scott and I were both at that national title game in Indianapolis, and I felt like you could hear the Wisconsin fans audibly groan whenever they were owned by Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen's probably going to be doing a lot of that this year. Uh, Certainly, it's going to be a big adjustment for him, going from a very minor role player to the guy. Uh, We're talking about a kid who only averaged four points a game last year. But to me, he projects as Duke's go-to scorer this year. Duke lost their top four scorers from their team a year ago. Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, and Quinn Cook all off to the NBA. So uh, I think it's Grayson Allen's time to shine and... What you got to remember about him is he has the pedigree. Uh, he has as, as much pedigree as any player in the country, of course. He was a McDonald's All-American. Uh, he's someone who's capable of like winning a dunk contest and a three-point contest, so he's got the skill set, certainly, to be an impact player. Uh, am I putting too much on Grayson Allen's plate to think he could make this uh, incredible jump from a reserve to their go-to guy? I think you're putting a little too much as a go-to guy, but I think he's got a chance to be a big threat this year on the offensive end. Uh, there are a lot of positives to what he did, especially later in the season. Not just the 16-point effort against Wisconsin, but you have to remember against Michigan State, he came in and gave great minutes and had nine points in that one. He had that missed corner three, rebounded it, then dunked it. Yeah, and uh, you know that nine-point effort against Michigan State matched the output of his entire four NCAA tournament games before that. So he stepped up out of nowhere on the game's biggest stage in back-to-back games against two really good defensive teams and played well. He had 27 against Wake Forest at one point this year, 11 against NC State. 
you know, he showed he could play against high-level competition. Duke just didn't need him in that way. They had so many weapons. You look at their NBA draft picks. Well, they had, like, six players, but yeah. those six players are all really good. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, it's not as if... I'm not saying Duke was deep, but the, the depth of guys ahead of Allen, where they needed him last year, was yeah. just extensive. But right. he's athletic enough to make plays at the rim. Uh, you know, it's funny. Commentators like to label him as a shooter. He's a good shooter, but... He's emerging as one. Like he, you know, he shot well from the free throw line. Last he's an year. attacker. I yeah, would say absolutely. more so than a shooter. He's this dude wants to take the ball, go to the rim. I love watching Grayson Allen play. I'm sure people are going to hate him because there is a long line of white dudes at Duke who people just inexplicably like to hate on, and that is fine. But I think Grayson Allen's hilarious. Maybe almost in a uh, in a sense that just I I know he's going to make people so mad because he looks like a choir boy. But then he's gonna dunk on your head and he's gonna rip pull up threes and everyone's gonna hate this kid and I love it already. He's so talented. He's pretty good. He's good. Uh, so the other thing I'm worrying, wondering about Duke is like, how soon will Brandon Ingram become an offensive focal point? I think uh, you know if Ingram's not ready because Ingram's one of the youngest players in this class. He's not even 18 years old yet, not until September. Uh, if Ingram's not ready, I see Allen getting a ton of offensive workload for Duke because, you know, Derek Thornton, he's going to be their point guard this year. He's going to be a young kid as a freshman. Matt Jones is good, but he's more of a 3 and D wing. He's not really a creator. I think the ball is going to be in Grayson's hand uh, quite a bit this year. Absolutely. Uh, Let's move on to the fifth guy. This spot was up for debate, but local bias coming from Scott and I is going to give it to Tyler Uless. Uh, He is, of course, a product of the south side of Chicago, Anyone who's like under five foot nine and went to Catholic school in the South Suburbs of Chicago, I just got a ride for. Tyler Ulis is one of those people. Ulis uh, is in an interesting position because Kentucky, of course, lost its top seven scorers from last year. Their three returning players are um, Marcus Lee and Alex Poitras in the front court, and Ulis in the back court. However, of course, John Calipari adds two more five star point guards to the mix with Isaiah Briscoe and Jamal Murray. You know, who? I feel like Ulyss sort of has positional ownership over the point guard spot. Briscoe and Murray are both a little bigger. While they will play point guard uh, at the NBA level, certainly in Murray's case, I think that they have no problem playing the wing. I want to see all three of these guys together uh, with Ulyss running the show. What do you think of Tyler in his sophomore year? I know you've seen him since his time as a recruit uh, at Marion Catholic in Chicago. And what do you think of his development overall last year and moving forward? I think Tyler Ulis is going to be incredibly fun to watch this year because he sets up other guys, he makes them better. He's the type of guy who works to get other guys' shots and opportunistic looks. And it's going to be interesting to see how he goes from last year's group, which sent so many guys to the NBAs, to really a fresh group for him of, yeah. of guys that he has to learn the intricacies of their games and how they play. And do they like bounce passes or chess passes into their shots? Like what, where do they like placements? Where do they like shooting from? He's got to learn all those things again. Cause he's a meticulous student of the game who likes to learn those sorts of things about the players around him. And does he have the ball in his hands with guys like Briscoe and Murray, who are both good with the ball in their hands? They're both capable scorers. But Ulysses is also a very good uh, spot-up shooter, shot 42% from the three-point line last year. So really, 
what are we looking at in terms of how John, uh, excuse me, John Calipari puts them on the floor and yeah. does he use three guard lines? Is Ulysses starting like, this year? Even? Yeah, like, like I, I have him as one of my five sophomores, but there's certainly the possibility he's coming off the bench again. Yeah, I mean, whether he starts or comes off the bench, he's a selfless player, and I think he showed last year with how he played the game that he's going to be vital to Kentucky's success no matter what part he plays, and I think that whether he's starting or coming off the bench or whether he's starting games or ending games, he's going to be a factor throughout the, the flow of the game, and he'll be ending plenty of games next season. I feel like uh, the wonderful patrons of Big Blue Nation would rush to defend the Harrison brothers at every turn last year when uh, people like, I don't know, me or you would criticize the Harrisons. But there was a reason that Tyler Ulis was closing games by the end of the season, even if he wasn't starting them, and it's because I feel like Calipari just realized they were better with Ulis in the game. He's short, but he defends his ass off. Uh, he was their second most reliable three-point shooter last year behind Devin Booker, who's gone off to the NBA. I think Tyler's poised for a big year, and you know we could be having the same conversation again a year from now when he has a completely new group around him maybe even two years from now when he has the current high school juniors around him uh it'll definitely be interesting so uh you know Ulysses is definitely a player to watch i think uh is there anyone on this list any other sophomores who come to mind that uh we haven't talked about so far yeah, four guys that I really like uh, coming into this year that I've heard good things about in coaching circles and have also uh, produced some good summer numbers playing in various things. Isaac Copeland at Georgetown, uh, you know, solid freshman year from him. Now, you know, he's going to become more of a focal point this year, being a sophomore. Devontae Smith-Rivera coming back for the Hoyas. He needs help. I think Copeland could be poised for a big year. Uh, Dylan Brooks, a guy from Oregon who showed really strong ability for a guy who reclassified and joined college a little bit late compared to some of his other freshman classmates last year. Had a really good year, 11.4 points per game, 4.7 rebounds. Now that Joe Young is gone, the Ducks need him to step up. I think he could be poised for a really big year in the Pac-12, the type of guy who can really be dynamic at both ends of the floor as a rebounder to help with the scoring. Uh, James Blackman in Indiana, he put up some big scoring numbers last year. I think that he could have more big scoring numbers this year. They're going to let him uh, have the green light quite a bit and let it go and uh, let him make plays. And then Malik Pope at San Diego State, who was injured throughout the late course of his high school career. He was a little bit injured last year. Really started to come on strong with some uh, you know, eye-opening plays and eye-opening sequences at the end of last year. And I think that he's a guy at six foot ten and only nineteen years old to really keep track of this year as a sophomore at San Diego State. Uh, Malik Pope, if there's any good in this world, Malik Pope will stay healthy because he missed his entire junior and senior year of high school with various injuries, and was injured for like the beginning of last year. Uh, yeah, he's just snake bitten. Just stay healthy, man. Stay Please, healthy, basketball dude. gods. Give us the health of Malik Pope. You've taken a lot from us it's recently. nothing else. If you've taken a lot recently, we don't ask for much. Just give Malik Pope a healthy year. And James Blackman, I'm going to throw this out there. Scott, you've uh, you've seen me hoop before. Could I score 20 on James Blackman? He's like the worst. <laughs> he's like one of the worst defenders he's, I've ever he's seen. He's got to improve on the like, defensive end of things. Got to improve on the defensive end. Indiana as a whole on the perimeter has got to improve defensively. It's going to be an interesting year for Tom Crean's bunch. They, they have so many question marks. And now this off-the-court incident with Thomas Bryant and Emmett Holt. I mean, guys, what are we doing? This is a big year. Focus up. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Chris Carter would say, where's the fall guy for <laughs> Indiana basketball right now? Because, I don't know, like, 
They keep getting busted. Just don't get busted. I, I don't know. I have... Stay in your homes. Yeah. Stay in your homes. Uh, I think... I, I also like Daniel Hamilton, by the way. I'm, I'm throwing that out there. We didn't yeah, mention him. He's I, I just software. worry... He's not a bad call either, Ricky. He obviously showed flashes of really good play last year. I just think he's not going to have the ball in his hands enough. There's so many guys who want to take shots. You have Sterling Gibbs, Rodney Purvis, yeah, Sam Cassell, right. you know, Jalen Adams. That There's a lot of shots to go around there. And where does Daniel Hamilton fit into that equation? Oh, here's what I want to say about Blackman. So going into, like, like, if you jump back two years ago when I covered the NBA for SB Nation, well, it was funny because, like, one of the go-to Twitter things was, like, people posting vines of James Harden's super bad defense. Uh, and eventually it got to a point where, like, the Vines got to Harden's head, I think. Like, he improved on the defensive end last year. He went from maybe, like, an F in terms of effort to, like, a C-plus in terms of effort. Maybe Indiana fans need to start vining their TVs whenever James Blackman blows it on defense uh, to sort of peer pressure him into becoming a better defender. Peer pressure, always effective. I think it works. I think you are, you are, uh, you know, king at getting summoned <laughs> into peer pressure and folding to it. So, uh... Thanks again for listening to us. Yeah, I guess that wraps it up. Uh, For Scott, um, Ricky, thanks for listening. See ya.